Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. God eftermiddag alle sammen. Velkommen til, og tak til jer, der er kommet i dag til dit hastigt indkaldte pressemøde. Og ved siden af mig, besides me, I have uh, Mr. Jordan Gardner. Jordan is uh, the head of the investment group Helsingor USA, LLC, I think it's called. Um, which is the new majority owner of FC Helsingor with a share stake of 51%. And that is the reason we called in to this meeting today. How are things going in Helsingor at the moment? Look, I mean, things could not be better. The game sold out today. It's the biggest crowd in the history of the stadium. Um, look, we're undefeated. Lingby's undefeated, so this is a fantastic match. So, I mean, I could not be happier with where the club is right now. Fler och fler amerikaner har börjat köpa och ta över fotbollsklubbar i Europa. När veckans poddgäst, den amerikanska affärsmannen Jordan Gardner, kikade över Atlanten för en investering blev det Danmark och FC Helsingör. Tillsammans med en del amerikanska investerare äger han numera majoriteten i klubben. Och efter att ha bytt ut det mesta är målet att ta upp klubben till den danska Superligan. I podden uttrycker Gardner sin frustration- över att bli indelad i samma fack som en del andra utländska ägare som knappast haft framgångar. It's been a bit frustrating to see because foreign owners and American owners we kind of all many times often all get lumped into the, the same pile and everyone looks at us the same way and I like to think what we've done and what we're doing at Helsingor is very different than other foreign ownership groups. Jordan Gardner som till vardags är baserad i San Francisco tycker även att termen moneyball som vi kommer från regionen är utkörtad och inte så användbar i fotboll. Skälet till att FC Helsingör kan toppa danska andra ligan utan att spendera särskilt mycket pengar ligger bland annat i att andra klubbar är dåligt styrda. So I think on one hand it creates opportunity because the industry is so poorly run. Uh, but at the same time it's disappointing to see even some of the biggest clubs in Europe run so poorly. Och självklart diskuterar vi även varför närmare 50 fotbollsklubbar i Europa numera har amerikanska majoritetsägare. 
och varför invasionen knappast lär avstanna. And on the other hand, the price of franchises and major sports in the United States and North America is becoming immense. I mean, to get into the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL, we're talking billions of dollars. Podden är naturligtvis mer än det här och vi pratar även om varför han tycker att skandinavisk fotboll är undervärderad, vikten av att vara en synlig och engagerad ägare, om hur det är att pendla mellan Danmark och USA och samtidigt sköta en klubb i FC Helsingör. Om hans uppfattning att dansk fotboll är snäppet vassare än svensk och balansen av att sälja och bolla spela och varför Sveriges spel vår höst gör det svårt att värva svenska spelare. Men som vanligt börjar vi podden med en fakta ute. H. 37. Where do you live? Uh, San Francisco, California. Family. I uh, have a wife, uh, no kids and a dog. Education. Uh, I went to four-year university in the United States at the University of California, San Diego. Salary? Uh, not available. What do you drive? Uh, BMW. What do you read? Uh, New York Times. What do you watch? Uh, lots on Netflix. What do you listen to? Uh, classical. What do you play? Football. Yeah. What is your biggest accomplishment? Uh, getting FC Helsinger promoted to the Danish First Division. What would you rank as your greatest triumph in football? Uh, I got uh, an amateur team. We qualified for the cup competition in the U.S. It's called the U.S. Open Cup. Which is your favorite team and why? Uh, well, obviously now it's FC Helsinger since I own the club. Uh, but prior to that, it was probably the U.S. men's national team. Um, we've always been an underdog in global football, so that that was always exciting. What rule would you like to change? Uh, anything related to diving. There's too much of that. That needs there needs to be stricter enforcement on that. Who's the best player of all time? Messi. When I reach you now on on Skype, uh, you have 30 minutes uh, and you're quite busy. But uh, what's the mood like owning FC Helsingør? Yeah, I mean, things are great right now. We haven't lost a match in 15 games in the calendar year 2021. So uh, we're in first place in the, for, you know, the first division, the Nordic Bet League. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the club's in a very, very good place right now. We see a lot of American investors coming to Europe, buying football clubs. How come? Yeah, I think what's happening, two things are happening. One, the sport is becoming more and more popular in the United States. Uh, so there's more interest from people playing the game and investing in the game and watching the game. We have the 2026 World Cup coming up in North America. And on the other hand, the price of franchises and major sports in the United States in North America is becoming immense. I mean, to get into the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL, we're talking billions of dollars. So for obviously a fraction of the cost, you can get into European football, you could buy a small club, you can even buy a big club. Um, so the the kind of accessibility, uh, price-wise, I think is attracting a lot of American investment in European football. How did you end up in uh, Denmark and uh, Helsingør? 
Yeah, we wanted to buy a majority stake of a club, but we didn't want to kind of uh, fall into the trap that other Americans did where they bought a big club and maybe they didn't really understand how to run a European football club properly. So we wanted to go to a place that it was relatively relatively easy to do business. You know, in Denmark, almost everyone speaks English. Uh, you know, clubs generally compared to other places in the world are, are, are well run. Uh, there's a good culture of youth development. And so Denmark was the spot that we identified. And then Helsingar as a club in particular, it had a, a lot of good infrastructure that we were looking for. It had a new academy that was launching, had a new stadium that was opening, was geographically close to Copenhagen, which was important to us for a variety of reasons. So it checked a lot of boxes for us. And ultimately, I think um, in retrospect, it was definitely the right decision for us. When you bought FC Helsingar, you were one of several investors. Uh, who are the other investors? Yeah, so I'm the managing partner, but we have a consortium of investors in the United States that have come together for this project. So it's a, a handful of investors, mostly people I know personally from the San Francisco Bay Area. Their owners, uh, minority owners in the Golden State Warriors. A couple of our owners are shareholders in Major League Soccer. So mostly, <clears throat> excuse me, smaller minority shareholders in North American sports. Guys that are looking to get into European football, but kind of want to make smaller investments before they jumped into something bigger. How much money have you put in in FC Helsingør? Uh, so our initial investment into Helsingør was around uh, 1.2 million euros, and obviously since then uh, we've invested additional funds into funding the club and with COVID. Um, but obviously it's a relatively small ticket size compared to bigger clubs in Europe. Where is the upside of buying a club like uh, FC Helsingør? Yeah, for us, it's to get to the Danish Superliga. That's where the upside is. There's there's large jumps in television revenue. The valuations of the clubs are much higher. So, you know, we're in first place right now. If we can continue that, we can get promoted. And there's definitely, um, it's definitely financially lucrative, more so being in the Superliga than is in our current division. What did you do when you took command of the club in in May 2019? Yeah, we changed everything. We changed staff, new coach, new sporting director. We cleared out about 80 or 85 percent of the roster. We had a lot of new ideas, a totally different way of doing things, much more professionalization on and off the field. And we really put an emphasis on culture and building a good culture at the club. We wanted players, mostly younger players, but players in general who wanted to be here, who were hungry to get the club back to where it was. You know, when we bought the club, there was a lot of people involved in the club who were didn't want to be here um, and the culture was quite poor. So I think it's really, and that's a credit certainly to our coaching staff, our sporting director, who've done a fantastic job of building the culture that has got us to where we are today. I know that you brought in a lot of American players. How come? And uh, they're not uh, in the club anymore. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, we brought in uh, six American players right after we bought the club. And, you know, ultimately we decided that 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 didn't work for us in the very beginning. Um, it was a combination of the players, you know, had difficulty adjusting to football in Scandinavia. The quality of the players in Denmark was higher than we expected. And so we kind of refocused. Certainly COVID made a little bit of that by necessity in terms of it was more difficult to bring in foreign players. Um, and we've realized that having kind of the core Uh, backbone of your roster being domestic, in this case Danish, is a really important key to success. And we still do have foreign players. We have a handful of guys from New Zealand who are national team players who are very, very good. We've had players in from Sweden before. Um, but for us, it's not just about having foreign players to check that box. It's more about can the players adjust? Are they good enough? Are they better than the, the domestic players? And right now, uh, the core of our roster is domestic, and that's working for us. And so we're probably going to stick to that for the time being. You haven't had that many Swedish players uh, before uh, the club had some Swedish players before you came in. Uh, how come you haven't had that many Swedish players? 
Yeah, I mean, we had a guy named Teddy Burquist in uh, last year. He was a Malmo kid. He was a youth national team player, and it didn't, unfortunately, didn't work out. It, it's hard for us with Swedish players with the calendar in terms of, you know, this upcoming winter window. A lot of Swedish players will reach out to us. Obviously, being Helsingør right across the ferry from Sweden, it's geographically interesting for a lot of Swedish players. Um, but it's hard because in the winter we're really just maybe looking for one or two players to supplement our roster, and so that. The differences in the calendar make it kind of challenging, but it's probably outside of the Danish market. It's the number two market we're looking at for players generally. Foreign owners are often criticized, and in Denmark, with, where there are so many owners from different uh, countries and different professions, what do you think about this whole development, and how is it to be a, a foreign owner? Yeah, I mean, I acknowledge that I had a set of ideas at the beginning when we bought the club, and I've acknowledged that a lot of those ideas uh, don't work, necessarily don't work in Danish football. And so we've had to change and adapt. And I think, like any other business, if you don't adapt and understand what works and what doesn't, then you're not going to have success. And I think, look, it's very early for some of the other groups. You know, Esbjerg, they've only been in, I think, for six months. So they still have definitely have a lot of time. But I don't see a lot of willingness from those groups to really be respectful of the Danish footballing culture and, or the culture in European football in general. And so I think that's going to be hard for them to have success. I, I wish them all the best. I hope it works out for them. But it's, it's been a bit frustrating to see because foreign owners and American owners, we kind of all and many times often all get lumped into the, the same pile and everyone looks at us the same way. And I like to think what we've done and what we're doing at Helsinger is very different than other foreign ownership groups. <laughs> Forsberg, big opportunity here, and in! Emil Forsberg arrives at this World Cup, all right, but Sweden have liftoff here in St. Petersburg. Huge, huge moment, and Sweden are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Their astonishing run continues. When you see a lot of investors coming into football, you would think that they would want to go to bigger football countries. How come you think Denmark is interesting? I think Scandinavian football is massively undervalued. I think you know people are starting to see, certainly with the Swedish and the Danish national teams having a lot of success. Um, you see Malmo now in the Champions League. You know FC Copenhagen and Bromby have had success in Europe as well. I think you know. I think a lot of investors, they look and they say, okay, cool, we'll go to the UK, right? Or we'll go to France or Spain. And I think it's very oversaturated in some ways, those countries, and that everyone looks at those markets and there's so many foreign groups spending so much money. It, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of room to do things new and creative. And I think in Scandinavia, you can come in and you can take a different approach and have a lot of success in a way that maybe you can't in a bigger country. And, you know, honestly, it's it's just frankly much easier to run a club in a place like Denmark or Sweden than it is in France or Spain. It's just the language, the culture, the business practices are just so much more challenging than some of those other countries. And that's not to say, you know, in a year I might not be buying a club in France and doing the same thing we're doing in Helsingør because that's possible. But I think, you know, if you want to jump into European football and try to have the most success as a foreign investor who hasn't done this before, I think Scandinavia is a really good spot. How do you handle the balance between keeping your best players, but also selling players to, to make a profit? Yeah, I mean, I think for every club, selling players is an important uh, business model. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're at a point right now where we're getting interest from other clubs in the last window from our players, but we have to balance that with the fact that we have a roster that is heading potentially for a promotion. So we have to say, look, 
we sell our two or three best players now and we don't get promoted, that's not a good financial decision for us either, right? So it's always that balance for every club. And I think for us, certainly if we can get to the Super League and some of these good young players we have can continue to perform, they're going to be worth three, four, five times as much money as they are currently in the first division. So it's an important business model, but I think it's also about being smart. We're fortunate we're in a good, strong financial position where we don't have to sell players. There are a lot of clubs that have to sell players to make budget. We're not one of those clubs. So we're in a strong position where we can sell the players when the time is right. But of course, unless you're Bayern Munich or you know one of these huge clubs, every club is a selling club and you have to have that in the back of your head. You're from San Francisco and you're based there, which is very close to Oakland where the former uh, baseball manager, Billy Bean, he kind of created this money ball thing, looking at statistics and finding really good players that maybe are not that expensive. How much do you use uh, Moneyball when you run the Danish club? Yeah, I mean, I think Moneyball as a term is definitely a little bit overused. I mean, the whole idea of doing more with less and trying to be more efficient and make better decisions, of course, we subscribe to that. We've been one of the lowest spending teams in professional football in Denmark for the last two years. We were second from the bottom last year in the Danish first division, and we finished in fourth. This year, we're in the bottom third, and we're obviously in first place. And so... You know, we use data, we make efficient decisions, we build culture, we do all these things that are really important, you know, in a way that you could say that's a money ball approach, but in, in a sense that everyone thinks there's kind of this magic formula where you have this uh, you know, data identification system for players and you're doing something crazy. That That's not it. That's not what it really is. It's just, it's really doing the heavy lifting top to bottom in your organization and being smart and hiring good people. And I'd like to think we do that pretty well. How is it possible to own a club and be based in in California with the time difference and the travel and everything? Yeah, so I, I split my time. I spend a good amount of time in Denmark. Um, I like to spend as much time as I can. Usually it's up to two weeks a month in Denmark. It's been a little bit tricky with COVID and the travel restrictions. Um, I have an American CEO who lives in Denmark full time. So having someone obviously on the ground that I know and trust is really important. And it's been two and a half years now. So kind of getting up at early in California and getting on the phone and making sure things are running smoothly uh, is kind of it's second nature now. So it's, certainly it's not easy. It's not for everyone. Um, but it works for me and it's something that I think it's important to you that I spend time on the ground here, irregardless of the fact that the club's in a really good place now. And, you know, for me now, it's much more about, um, you know, being positive and, and sitting and having lunch with our coach than necessarily putting out fires. Maybe it was at the very beginning. Um, uh, but it's, you know, I've always said this and you may have read this, like absentee ownership in European football doesn't work. If you're an American, you have to spend time on the ground or have people you have, you trust spend time on the ground. And I try to do that as much as I possibly can. You've been in uh, Danish football for uh, more than two years now. How do you think you've been received? Yeah, I mean, I think it's taken time for us to build the trust with everyone around Danish football, not just our supporters, but our sponsors, other clubs. Um, I think there's definitely a general uh, little bit of a mistrust over foreign ownership, which is certainly understandable uh, based on experiences from other groups in, in Europe. But now that we've we've gotten over the hump, I, I don't think many foreign ownership groups make it after a year. I don't know the percentages, but many of them are gone in six to 12 months. And for us, luckily, we've made it to almost three years now. And I think we've built a really good trust. And we're obviously having success on the field. We're doing things the right way. So everything is very positive from our supporters and everyone around the club. But it took time and we had to be really patient to get to this point. Football as an industry is uh, very easy to criticize. It's uh, quite a few dodgy deals. There's not much of uh, transparency and uh, yeah, you know everything like that. How do you think it affects uh, the industry and uh, owning a club? 
Yeah, the business is, uh, I, I don't even know how to, corrupt's a probably a good way to put it. It's very agent-driven. You have clubs making decisions for the wrong reasons. Um, it's very inefficient, which I think is good for people like us who, or myself, who try to run clubs better. I mean, we see, one of the reasons we can have success spending you know, a lot less money is because other clubs are poorly run. And so I think on one hand, it creates opportunity because the industry is so poorly run. Uh, but at the same time, it's disappointing to see even some of the biggest clubs in Europe run so poorly. You know, generally, I think a lot of clubs in Scandinavia, you know, there are poorly run clubs in Scandinavia, but I think more so the clubs are better run than other places I've seen. But of course, there are examples of clubs that we'll see some with foreign owners that that do things just you just sit there and you shake your head at the decisions they make. So I don't know what the answer is, um, but I like to think that the way we do things creates an advantage for us over other clubs that are not run as, as well as we are. Right now, we can see that FIFA and UEFA, they're fighting about the power. Who's going to decide about World Cups, national team games and things like that? How do you think that affects uh, the football and how do you react when you see that uh, FIFA wants the players to play even more? It's a difficult question. I just uh, submitted an article to Sports Pro about the cha potential changes from the World Cup from four years to two years and how I don't think that's a good idea, certainly not from a club perspective. I mean, players are overworked. They're playing so many games, especially with compressed schedules due to fee uh, due to COVID. Um, it, it's definitely difficult, you know, certainly being an American, um, all four people trying to make money in this business, but it seems like it's, um, it's really a fight between FIFA and UEFA and these different stakeholders just trying to put more money in their pocket, which is really problematic. So I don't have the answers. We try to do as best as we can to take care of our players and make sure they're not overtaxed. You know, for us, we don't have a huge issue with tons of national team call-ups. We have a couple of kids with New Zealand, one with South Africa. Um, we have a kid in the youth national team system in Denmark, so it's not a huge issue for us at the moment. Um, but certainly for us, you know, everything I do in this industry is about trust and having building relationships. So for us, when the New Zealand national team is calling some of our players, we'll get on the phone with the national team coach who we have a relationship with and make sure we're all on the same page, making good decisions and not trying to burden the players out so that when they come back to the club, they're fresh that they can obviously support and play for their country, which is important to all of us. So it's a, it's a balance, right? We we sent two of our players away for the Olympics, which were, were not during a FIFA uh, uh, international window, which we didn't have to do, uh, which obviously was important for them and the club. But at the same time, they missed our first two games, which was difficult for us. So it's always a balance. You have to kind of compromise. And, you know, it's really very relationship driven. And hopefully it will continue to do an OK job with that. You're quite different than many other owners of clubs. Uh, they're more uh, kind of uh, in the background. You're very outspoken. You write your own stuff. You're active on Twitter and you take part in podcasts. And it's kind of refreshing to uh, get your views. How do you reason when you're this outspoken? Well, I'm younger, obviously. I think most people in my position are probably twice as old as I am. Um, you know, I come from a different background and definitely generationally, I'm very different. I'm very open. I think one of the things I learned from some of my minority investments was that, that, that like I said, the absentee, the kind of hidden ownership, it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't work in the business world either. If you're an employee for a company, you want to know who's signing the checks, where are we, what direction is this company going? And I think without leadership at many clubs, it's very difficult to have success. And of course, in a sporting organization, if you don't have leadership, that, that becomes way problematic. So for me, my approach is, look, you know, I like to think that, you know, some of the thoughts and ideas I have on the sport are 
useful and interesting to people and they might not agree, but I like to put my opinion out there because I think it's important. I think it's important that people have a voice, um, whether they agree or disagree with that. And, you know, I know I'm sure people look at my social media and say, yeah, that guy's an idiot or he says some pretty crazy stuff. But most people that come, you know, that the feedback I get is saying, hey, you know, I'm also an owner of a club. I'm in a WhatsApp chat with other directors and owners, and we're saying the same thing you're saying about Super League, right, or whatever you wrote about. Uh, we just don't want to comment about it publicly. That's totally fine. Um, so, you know, I think my approach generally is to try to professionalize this business and try to call things out when I see them uh, in terms of the way things are done that I think could be done better. And certainly from an American perspective, when I see other American groups doing things that I don't think are the right way, I like to usually call that out. And um, again, is that going to burn the bridge with some people? Maybe. Um, but certainly I think it's important for the, for the industry as a whole. And then things like the Stockholm school of business and other, you know, I've guest lectured at quite a few universities. And I think that's important in terms of helping young people understand what this business is about, not just football, but global sports and the sacrifices they need to make and how they achieve the goals. Cause I think they look at people like me and say, wow, cool. I want to own a football club. Well, that's pretty difficult to get to that point. There's many, many boxes that I had to check to get to this point. And I'm always happy to kind of uh, give my experience to younger people. And hopefully that'll help them as they find their way in this in this world. Do you think there will be a salary cap for football in Europe in the future? No, no, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Does it need to happen? Yes. I mean, Spain, for instance, they do have a form of wage constraints. You know, this financial fair play, which we can spend a separate podcast talking about that and how it's irrelevant. Um, in terms of like an American style salary cap or American style revenue sharing, none of that's ever going to happen. I'm not even sure it's legal. I'm not a lawyer, but I, it's never going to happen. I think there's too much money being funneled to the bigger clubs who have no incentive to run their businesses more efficiently or spend less money. Um, I think there's areas of the business and the industry that are modernizing and changing, but I think there's certain other areas that are never going to change. And this is one of them. I just, I, I just don't see it happening. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Fin bevægelse, fin løb, og så bliver det lagt ind her. Og Riel kan gøre noget med den der forpræk, den er forbi. Jesper Hansen og Helsingøren foran med 1-0 her, hvor der er spillet en lille halv time af opgøret. Astrid er dybt, det er et glimrende spil. Helsingøren mulighed her til Tobias Christensen, 1-0 til Helsingøren. Der kom scoringen, og de er fuldstændig alle vilde nede på trænerbænken, og selvfølgelig også bag ved målet. Det er super, super set op, det er Helsingøren. During the last transfer window, there was a discussion in Sweden that the Danish clubs were better than Swedish clubs when it comes to getting paid for players. They uh, seem to be able to uh, extract a lot more money from uh, buying clubs than Swedish clubs. You're closer to Danish football than we are. What do you think is the reason that the Danish clubs are better? Um... I mean, look, I mean, the Swedish leagues are good, but I think there's a perception that the Danish leagues are slightly better. So there's a slightly better quality there. I think what we talked about earlier being on more of a European calendar is much more beneficial for selling leagues. I think for us in Denmark, um, generally, it's much easier to sell players to Germany, to Holland, to Belgium, previously to the UK with now with Brexit, it's a little more difficult. You know, over the summer when everyone's looking to stock up on their roster, Sweden, obviously, they're in the middle of their season. You know, the Swedish clubs with the 50 plus one ownership restrictions, some of the clubs aren't quite as strong financially. So they're obviously not spending as much money in terms of developing their players and developing young players. So I think Sweden does a good job and I enjoy watching Swedish football, but it doesn't surprise me that the perception would be that Denmark does a better job. I think there is a buzz on, on Danish football specifically with the way the national team is playing. And I think you saw it five years ago with Belgium, right? The Belgian national team blew up and everyone was looking at buying clubs in Belgium and you know buying players in Belgium. I think similar things are happening in Denmark now. Is that kind of a bubble? Maybe, possibly. Um, <clears throat> but the quality of players coming out of Denmark is very good. So, you know, I think people will continue to look at the Danish leagues for uh, buying players. The last three years, we've seen a massive rise in American owners in football clubs in in Europe. Do you think that uh, that invasion of uh, American owners will continue? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you'll continue to see venture come in on a league level. I don't think you'll see venture come in to buy clubs because it's not that they're not interested in the kind of the individual day to day grind of a club. They're more interested in long term investments at the league level. I think you'll continue to see strong interest in American investment on the club level. And I think Americans will continue to buy bigger and bigger clubs. Whether that's a good thing, we can spend a separate discussion about that. Um, I also think you'll probably see Americans looking towards other markets as well, not just European football, but South American football, Asian football, maybe even African football. I think there's this there's so much money in the United States and so much money that's interested in, in pouring into sports and not very many places for it to go. But I think the, the global sport of football will continue to be an attractive investment proposal for Americans. How has uh, the COVID pandemic affected the football industry? 
No, I think it's a small blip. I think we've seen a, a pretty strong recovery period in the football industry. Yes, you're seeing some clubs still struggle, and a lot of clubs blame those struggles on COVID. You saw Darby County go into administration this week, and they're blaming that on COVID. That's not COVID. That's them overspending and doing all sorts of crazy financial maneuvers over the last five years. So COVID, to me, now that fans are back in the stadiums, uh, the interest is higher than ever. So I think I don't want to say we're past it from a football business perspective. But I don't see any long-term ramifications, barring anything crazy happening like a new variant that's more deadly or border closures again or quarantines again. I don't necessarily think any of that's going to happen. FC Helsingør is in the top of the league when we uh, talk. And uh, what do you think the chances are that uh, they will be uh, promoted to the Superliga? I hope so. I can't make any promises. We got a long way to go. We're only nine games in. We got a, you know, we're 33 game season. So, you know, it's, it's, it's looking good, but it's a little too tell early to tell. And, and, you know, if we can get there, it's just a massive accomplishment. That would be two promotions in three years. And that would just be something that's really spectacular for us. What's your time horizon being an owner of FC Helsingö? It's hard to tell, you know, COVID's kind of changed everything in our time horizons. You know, I think, originally our time horizon was three to five years um we'll have to sit down after this season if we can hopefully get promoted and see what the next steps are presumably the next step for us is staying in the superliga and then beyond that can we can we grow the club in that sense we'll have to see but we haven't even thought about that yet will you still be an owner in one year uh it depends if we sold today or within the next six to 12 months if we're in the superliga but the answer is probably yes what interest has there been buying the club from you? Uh, there's been some casual interest. Again, COVID has uh, changed that and everything's very dynamic in terms of, you know, the phone rings one day and there's interest or there's not. We're, we're not actively selling the club at all. But of course, there's always interest in what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, the more games we win, the more success we have. Certainly, if we get promoted, I think there will continue to be strong interest. We see some uh, foreign owners who buy a lot of clubs in different countries. Is that something that you've looked into? Yeah, I think the, the, the multi-club portfolio, if done properly, is interesting. Uh, I don't know how many groups actually do it well. I think outside of maybe Red Bull and City Football Group to a certain extent, there's other smaller groups uh, that own multiple clubs that I don't really understand why because they're not the clubs aren't interacting with another with each other. The players aren't moving well. There's not a, a unified playing style. Um, so if you're going to have multi-clubs, I think it's a good idea, but you have to figure out how you're going to integrate those clubs properly and how you're going to use economies of scale and build holding company level infrastructure like let's say a city football group has so i think people don't really necessarily understand the amount of infrastructure you need to have success at that level but that being said yes i think it's an interesting business model Och när producerar Anton Toft och mig och klippt av Daniel Eriksson och vi tar tacksamt emot alla era synpunkter och tankar idéer och önskemål eller eventuell kritik. Enklast är att maila mig olof.lund.tv4.se eller skriva till mig på Instagram eller Twitter och då Olof Lund i ett ord. Stort tack för den här veckan! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.